Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Only three points ahead of us now, Kieran, just saying. Uh, it's questions day, Kieran, but there is one new story. Our thoughts are with the people of Ukraine and those young Russian soldiers who are losing their lives because of the monstrous ego of Vladimir Putin. It seems almost grotesque to be talking about the ramifications on football finances, but there are many. And Kieran, I imagine the blue half of Wembley today will be talking about little else. Yes, uh, clearly Chelsea, with their uh, financial support from Roman Abramovich, have been very successful. Um, There have been historic allegations of his links to Vladimir Putin, uh, and a statement came out on Saturday night, which was... Um, which was unusual in, yeah. in the in the in the words that were were chosen uh, by uh, Roman Abramovich, in which he said that the the care uh, of Chelsea was going to be transferred to the Chelsea Foundation, um, but he didn't say anything about the ownership. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think this is him trying to put a a further degree of separation between himself and the club in terms of day-to-day decision making but you take a look at the you take a look at the board of the Chelsea Foundation and, and there's people there like Bruce Buck who has effectively been uh, Roman Abramovich's go-to lawyer he, he was been involved in some of the the deals that uh, Abramovich had with uh, organizations such as Sibneft um, and he's very very professional very very good at his job is he going to be completely independent uh, in terms of carrying out Roman Abramovich's wishes? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm not qualified to say that or, or not. But uh, uh, there's also Emma Hayes, who's done a fantastic job as Chelsea's women's manager. There's people from Kick It Out. There's there's some there's some good people, and the Chelsea Foundation has done some good work. But the nature of the statement is uh, unusual. Uh, Roman Abramovich was named in Parliament uh, by Chris Bryant, a a Labour MP, uh, over the course of last week with regards to would he be one of the people whose assets were being uh, seized potentially or or frozen by the British government. And and perhaps this is is a step to preempt Chelsea uh, falling falling away from uh, Roman Abramovich. He, He is an Israeli citizen. He has an EU passport that was granted to him from Portugal, so he is trying to perhaps perhaps ride two horses, uh, you know, distance himself from Putin in in some ways. Which, which, as you rightly said, you know, Putin is a uh, he, he, you know, I've, I've described him in the past as as a gangster boss. Uh, you know, Russia is a is a mafiosa state. You know, I, I, I travelled to Russia for fifteen years to teach there. I'm fully aware yeah. of the the institutionalised corruption there, and and that comes from the top. Um, and I think you're also right to to point out that it's 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 the young kids who are in the Russian army who are on the receiving end of this, yeah. um, and you know, we're all on the side of Ukraine. Uh, you, know, let, you know, this is a non political show, but you know, we're on the side of Ukraine. And if anyone doesn't like it, go and listen to something else. Yeah, I'm on the board of the Crystal Palace Foundation, Kieran. 
I don't think any of us would be too happy if Steve Parrish was suddenly to announce that we were running the club from now on. Uh, and I don't think the people who actually run the club would be too pleased either. But <clears throat> it doesn't seem that there's anything in this statement that would stop Chelsea being seized as an asset of Roman Abramovich should it come to that. And I doubt very much if it will. But this doesn't seem to prevent that. Um, and also, you know, his, his daughter issued a statement distancing the family from from Putin, saying they were very proud to be Russian, but they didn't support the invasion. So uh, it, it, it almost seems like a knee-jerk, slightly panicky thing that Abramovich did last night, which, of course, you don't associate with a multi-billionaire businessman. Yeah, f- football is politicised though, um, yeah. rightly or wrongly. We, we saw at the start of the pandemic where Matt Hancock started talking about football as wages yeah. um, as, as being a major issue. And, you know, and we, we, we said on many occasions, football is a small industry. He didn't mention bankers' wages. He didn't mention yeah. Yeah. The, the, the pharmaceutical companies who benefited substantially on, on, on the back of COVID and so on. So, so football. It's, 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 it's. I know this is a tautology. Football is a political football. It, it's, it's a high-profile industry. It's an easy target. Um, Abramovich has had links to Russia historically. What he's doing now, only he knows. And also, we see the Champions League final taken away from uh, Russia. Poland are refusing to play Russia in a World Cup qualifier game, and I suspect other countries will refuse to play them in qualifying games if this situation is still going on. I'm not entirely sure how that affects Russia financially, Kieran, but it will play into Putin's paranoid delusions that the West are out to get him, that, that you know, just because he's, he's invading a neighbour, we won't play football against him. But there's, there's not a lot that, that football can do financially to make him think again about these things. All, all, all that suffers is the local communities and some people, the businesses that would have made some money, the hotels that would have made some money won't be happy. But these are not really going to impact his worldview, is it? No, and it's also not going to impact upon his wealth or, or that of his cronies. Yeah. Um, you know, I, th- I think you're, Putin is not Russia. Uh, I, I can assure you, you know, when I used to teach there, and remember I'm teaching young people. Yeah. Uh, they... They were not fans of him, but uh, if, if you go out into the countryside where you've got state state media and little else, you know, people from another generation are are, are still uh, are still in in favour of Mother Russia. Yeah. Uh, so he's 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 not a he's not a popular leader. He, he doesn't accept uh, any form of criticism, and, and unfortunately, he will not be hurt by this um, unless. But you know, very senior people turn against him, and when you surround yourself by cronies, as as you do in any mafia, mafia organisation, that's unlikely to be the case. Yeah, it's like trying to get through to Guy. We have to get past his wall of cronies in Guy's mafia organisation. Um, questions, Kieran. Jamie Wormsley has our first question. Uh, it's a question for you. And he also has an issue with you regarding financial fair play. Jamie Walls, he says, Kieran believes it's not right to punish fans for the mistakes of club owners. You do, Kieran. 
so do I, as it happens. <laughs> However, those fans often benefit from club owners uh, because it often leads to watching better players and winning football. As a supporter of a club that rarely spends beyond its means, it's frustrating seeing us outbid and losing out on players to clubs willing to bend the rules and offer unsustainable wages. If a club ends up with more points by doing so, why shouldn't they lose points if guilty? A fine is no bother to wealthy owners, so what alternative is there to points deduction? Uh, Kira, just tell Jamie why we're right, will you? No, well, I, I, I absolutely take on Jamie's comments. Um, my, my comments were initially linked to to what happened at Berry and Macclesfield. Berry were expelled from the EFL due to the actions of one owner. Macclesfield Town were given a series of points deduction by the EFL, such that eventually, when, when on about the third or fourth occasion. They ended up being relegated. The club went, then went into liquidation, but the EFL could could wash their hands of anything to do with it because it was it was no longer on their watch. So, so that, those are the types of things which uh, make me angry. With, with regards to um, the the financial advantages that cheating uh, the rules uh, is concerned, I, I can understand where Jamie Jamie's come from. But if you take a look at uh, what has happened with regards to Queen's Park Rangers, Bournemouth, um, uh, Fulham uh, and Leicester, when there were all issues with regards to financial fair play. Now, three of those clubs uh, ended up with a, with a, a fine rather than a points deduction when, when they're in, the, in, in, in other leagues. Um, and I, I don't actually have an issue with that. Um, trying to work out an appropriate points deduction for matters which have been sanctioned by an owner I, I just don't think the two things can naturally be linked you know, should it be three points or should it be four points well that could be the difference between promotion or non-promotion or relegation and non-relegation and these decisions are being made by accountants and lawyers um and you know i i i love football and mm. I, I you know and perhaps i'm being a purist here i think that what happens on the pitch should dictate how many points you get. Uh, but I, I absolutely accept where Jamie is coming from. Um, I'd much rather the clubs, the clubs suffered financial penalties, had squad limits, had wage limits applied to them. And let's face it, in the world of football fandom, if a club is guilty of misdemeanours, we will always put asterisks next to any achievements of that club in that season. Mm. Um, and and, and that, that's, that's, that's my view. I'm not, you know, it, and it's just, it's just my, you know, it's just one opinion of which many others are available of equal validity. Uh, don't say that out loud, Kieran. People might start listening to Swiss Ramble instead of us. Um, our next question comes from Mark Goodchild. Uh, now, that would be a great name for a fictional local DJ, wouldn't it? I mean, <laughs> hey. Hi, I'm Mark Goodchild from Three Counties Radio. I play music from the 70s and solve crimes from the 80s. Actually, I might write that down. <laughs> Again, I've obviously already written it down once. Um, Mark Goodchild, who uh, plays music for the 70s, is a Spurs fan. And he says, I was intrigued when they cancelled Serge Aurier's contract in the summer. Will he have received some or all of his wages? And how much will it have cost Spurs? And is this common in elite football? Uh, yeah, this this is, is not particularly common. I mean, Serge Aurier was a £23 million signing. Uh, by Spurs, so you know, clearly from from their point of view, things things didn't work out towards the end. Um, he was linked in the summer 
transfer window with with clubs such as Watford. Uh, he said, "I'm a better player than that," um, which is almost a bit of an insult to Watford, really, they're a Premier League football club, um, um, and didn't want to go there. Um, so it got towards the end of August, and they came to an arrangement with him, uh, Spurs, uh, and the and the benefit here was it effectively meant that as his contract was cancelled, he was able to find another club outside of the transfer window because he was then deemed to be a free agent. And um, would he have got some form of payoff from Spurs? The chances are almost certainly. But instead of perhaps giving him the money until the 30th of June 2022, they will have agreed a an amount which was acceptable to both parties. Spurs saved some wages. He got some guaranteed income. Um, and also it, it meant from Spurs' point of view, if, if a player, for whatever reason, you know, if, if their face no longer fits um, uh, at, at a place of employment, he's, he's not turning up to training with a face like a slapped ass. He's not using the physio, so they have, you know, the, 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 the club can concentrate on, on the first-team squad. He's, he's not having to train with the kids and, you know, he, he, sometimes, and, and, the, and I've got no evidence, of course, that he's, he's actually would be a bad apple. Some players sort of just go there and, and bitch and moan and so on. So the club saves money. The club saves hassle. He would have got a basic payoff, which which will still have been eye-watering to you or me, um, but and it will have allowed him to to find another club, which, of course, subsequently he has done. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Speaking of Watford, Kieran, you you of course availed yourself of the Laurent Perrier Lounge when you played there a couple of weeks ago. You took the Baroness. I I was there on Wednesday, uh, stood in the courtyard of a pub called Oddfellows while the drizzle <laughs> came down the back of my my coat. When uh, a fan of the pod came up to me and said, Are "You regretting your decision to turn down that hospitality lounge now?" Uh, and just at that moment, yes, I was. But then <laughs> a couple of hours later, when we won 4 1, I was the one who walked away with my integrity as a working class hero intact. <laughs> uh, our next question comes from Joel Kiffin. Um, and Joel Kiffin will be the name of Mark Goodchild's character in the American version of the <laughs> Finstall Local DJ. Hi, I'm Joel Kiffin. I play music for the 70s, I solve crimes for the 80s. Um, Joel Kiffin says, it's my understanding that the salary cap in La Liga looks at forecast revenues for the upcoming season when calculating a playing budget. How does this work when it comes to sides playing in Europe? For instance, Villarreal have reportedly seen their budget increase, presumably due to qualification for the Champions League. But with only group stage prize money guaranteed, would further success in the knockout stages be reflected in the playing budget for next season or would it be ignored? Right. Uh, it is a cracking one from Joel. Um, uh, my understanding is that that budget flexes as known knowns uh, materialise. So, you know, to, 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 to quote an American vice president, we've got known knowns, known unknowns, unknown knowns and unknown unknowns. Um, so uh, when the budget is set in the summer of, let's say, 2021, then that will be based on the the, the minimum revenue that would be generated by Villarreal or the club. And then when it comes to January, where once again the transfer window reopens, if if a club has qualified for the knockout rounds, then there will be a recalibration of expected revenues for the season and the club will be able to flex its budget. And we saw this in the case of uh, Barcelona, 
who people raised eyebrows, and I think we mentioned it at the time, uh, in respect of the signing of Ferran Torres from Manchester City, because you know, six months prior to that, Barcelona were, were broke. Um, and what Barcelona were able to do between August and January was to extend the contracts of people like Samuel and Titi, so that we said we said at the time that that reduces the um, that reduces the amortization charge. It also reduced the wage fees for this season because he renegotiated these wages. Mm. Some players were sold, and that allowed them to bring in um, Ferran Torres. So, so there is flexibility with regards to the La Liga system, which does have a lot of merits. Although the downside it involves having to employ lots of accountants. Yeah. Uh, our next question comes from Christopher Brun, uh, who. I'm on about to say we'll be the German, Mark Goodchild. <laughs> uh, if we ever get around to making it in German, I did. I did actually phone Ali last night because uh, she speaks German. She's on tour at the moment. I phoned her to say, "What's the German for?" I play music from the seventies and solve crimes from the eighties, but it turned out she was busy being on tour and <laughs> wasn't ready to give me the time to come up with a translation. Um, but Christopher Brun's question. Uh, is with the big-name Bosman transfers of last summer in mind, could it be that we will see more big names leave for free in years to come, given that the COVID impact in the market would see more money going to players rather than to clubs in future? And also, there's a second part to the question. How are clubs allowed to discuss terms with players that still have 12 months left on their contract? Weren't Chelsea punished for doing that with Ashley Cole when his contract had only six months left? Right, uh, Christopher, if, if I deal with your questions in turn um with regards to players uh, effectively sitting out on their contracts we are seeing that on a more frequent basis i think clearly the most high high profile example of that this summer is going to be in the case of Kylian mbappe hmm. who 12 months ago in, in theory real madrid were willing to pay 200 million pounds for and this summer will be able to choose his his next employment on the back of a bosman transfer so Kylian Mbappe, Paul Pogba will be in that position this summer. He's you know, he's presently playing for Manchester United as a first-team pick. He's, he's still only in his late 20s. He's got a lot of years left on the clock. Um, players and their representatives are fully aware of the benefits of letting the letting the contract expire. I think if we, if we take a look at the case of Aaron Ramsey at Arsenal, Aaron Ramsey, good player, uh, went to Juventus, rumoured to be paid £400,000 a week, um, why was that? Because Juventus look at the total cost of employing a player over a four-year period. If the money is not going to have to go to the previous club, then that's more money that can go into the wage bill. And the players' representatives are aware of this, so so they they try to negotiate on behalf of their client. So uh, he's absolutely right uh, in, in his first assertion. With regards to um, the issues in relation to Ashley Cole, um, the rules are that if you are in the last, if you're in the last year of your contract and it gets to the first of January, you are then allowed to talk to other prospective employers, but they can't be in your same, they can't be in the same country. Right. So, um, you know, I've, I've read some of Ashley Cole's comments with regards to what happened 
uh, when when he moved from Arsenal, uh, or rather he, his, his contract expired at Arsenal when he turned up at Chelsea, he said that um, he was in talks with uh, the likes of Real Madrid and Barcelona, and he was quite keen to go there. And for whatever reason, that, that, that those deals didn't take place. And he felt that he was stitched up. He was in the hotel room. It just so happened that somebody from Chelsea was, was also in that hotel. Um, the two people were seen, you know, he and... Uh, I think it was Peter Kenyon was seen not far away from each other. And on the basis of that, it was deemed to be unsolicited tapping up. Um, He's, I think, still angry about, he feels he's been unduly criticised for it. Um, He wouldn't have been able to talk to Arsenal, but he would have been able to talk to both Real Madrid and Barcelona. Yeah, he is still angry. I've I've met him a few times on TV shows recently. Ashley Cole is a... A much nicer and more intelligent man than his demeanour would sometimes suggest. Um, but he's quite rightly frustrated by the fact that he's been portrayed as cashly, uh, as willing to do anything for money. Although, to be fair, he's also had a sense of humour enough to change from one team to another when Jack White all offered him 50 quid. Um, <laughs> so he's, he's aware of his reputation, but he's he's, <clears throat> he's he also thinks it's an unfair one. And it, and it seems from the research I've done that he, he was a little bit stitched up in this. He became the victim. Mm. It, it didn't help in his in his book where he said he nearly crashed the car when he heard how little he was being offered. But it's not always it's not always greed on the player's part, as is as is reported normally in the press. Um, ben Hyten. Ben Hyten is a, an Everton fan. And he says, a lot of us Evertonians have been disappointed by the comparatively low level of transfer spending in recent years. We believe this is due to FFP constraints, although the club is yet to confirm this. How long would FFP stop us investing in the squad? Or does Farhad Mashiri, the owner, have one eye on the new stadium now? Um, well, Ben's absolutely right. Uh, Everton's relatively modest spending in, in the last few windows has been determined by the fact that the club was close to the FFP limit. Um, and uh, you know, I, I've heard stories about one managerial change for the club, which which a couple of years ago which could, the club couldn't afford yeah. uh, until uh, mysteriously um, their, uh, their, their Russian... Their Russian friend, shall we say, Alicia Usmanov, um, agreed to uh, put up thirty-five million pounds for an option to have naming rights on the new stadium. So the the, the club was sailing close to the limits, and, and the reason for that is that since Farhad Mashiri acquired the club in February twenty sixteen, in in the first four years of ownership, the club spent over half a billion pounds. Uh, in the transfer market because he wanted to accelerate its uh, its performance in the Premier League. Um, and the trouble is that if you spend money it, it, on, on football players, it, it's the same it's the same as spending money on your uh, on your credit card. Once it's spent, you, you can't unspend it and, and, and it leaves a le- it leaves a legacy over the three years of financial fair play over which you're going to be assessed. Also if you take a look at what happened to the wage bill, um, at Everton, it, it doubled uh, over, over the course of those four years. Um, I, I was talking to somebody at a club who sold a player to to Everton, and they said, "Well, we, we were paying him forty five grand a week. He was uh, he was offered the chance to go to Leicester for seventy grand a week, and we weren't going to stand in his way." Um, and then Everton wandered in and offered one hundred and thirty, yeah. so that that player ended up going to Everton, um, which which is which is not a criticism of the player. You know, 
if, if people want to offer that. So it, it does appear that Everton, to a certain extent, ended up a bit like a lottery winner who, you know, you know we, we remember, we, we're both old enough to remember the, what was the name of it? Viv something? Who, who won the... Yeah. Spend, spend, spend. Spend, spend, spend. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, so yeah. There's there's another BAFTA from a, a '60s reference here. <laughs> We're so down with the kids. Um, so, so th- that is the driver for Everton's uh, retrenchment with regards to transfer spend, and it's not linked to the stadium. How the stadium is going to be funded is is a question which the club has been a little bit vague about, and, and perhaps rightly so. There has been talk of the local council being involved, but I think that might have called. Um, uh, Farhad Mashiri has said that he's willing to put some money in. Will the debt markets be willing to, to lend to Everton? Possibly, but I suspect at a higher rate of interest than for Spurs, because you know, rightly or wrongly, Everton will be perceived as a as first of all having a stadium which is not going to generate the same amount of money as Spurs, because the Evertonian fan base is more of a of a local fan base. It's more of a working fat working class fan base. They they wouldn't be willing to pay the high prices that that Spurs fans have ended up paying. Um, they don't have the benefit of being in London and the London tourist fan base. Um, and you know, I, I know it's not happened, uh, and Everton Evertonians will no doubt call me out on this, but. There is a risk of relegation that is greater with Everton than there is with Spurs. There, there is. Looking at the league table this morning, Sunday morning, it, of course, as a Palace fan, you're always, always automatically drawn to the lower end of the table. But Everton are in a bit of bother. And how they didn't get a penalty, I know this is not a football podcast, but how they didn't get a penalty at the end of that game is just ludicrous. And that's that, that would worry me as an Everton fan because that's a sort of luck that happens to clubs that go down. Um, mm. I like that. I'm going to I'm going to put that on a post-it note. Once it's once it's spent, you can't unspend it. I'm going to put that on a post-it note and put it on my <laughs> put it on my credit card once Ali gives it back to me. It's <laughs> not currently in my possession. Um, our next question comes from a regular question answerer. Uh, question? No, you're the question answerer. Question <laughs> I'm answer, a regular question answerer. Question answerer. Question. I've got a slight hangover, Kieran. I must admit. Um, Benjamin Toast. Uh, it's such a regular question asker that I've run out of toast jokes. That's how I know he's a regular. Uh, Benjamin Toast says, once you've shown you're not a tyre kicker, is it correct you get to look at the books in more detail before you go further towards buying a club, possibly with uh, a period of exclusivity? If yes, what do you actually get to review typically? Can you see exactly what those assets listed on the balance sheets are? Specifics of player contracts, for example. And can you ask why there's a Doris Stokes on £600,000 a year <laughs> as youth team scout? And, and lastly, are clubs sold as seen or is there a legal recourse if once you buy it, you discover it's an absolute basket case? Now, I suspect that Benjamin Toast may just have won a £10 bet that he could get me to say the name Doris Stokes on air. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, there will be many. Doris Stokes was a, a, a TV spiritualist medium and publicity seeker in the 70s and 80s. She was always on telly every weekend speaking to dead people, which was a, a bit odd if it was the Generation game. But, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's why occasionally if you see some old 70s comedians and they're not getting a laugh. They will. They will suddenly go. Now I know how Doris Stokes feels. Said, oh, well done. Very. I, I did. I, I would not have seen any circumstances, Kieran, when we first started this pod, in which Doris Stokes would get a mention. But there you are. This happened. 
But it's Absolutely. A, it, it is a good question, though, Kenny. Once you've shown you're a serious bidder for a club, how much how much are you allowed to review and examine? Right. Well, well what will happen is that um, – that's my granddaughter, by the way. It's not Finley. I, 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 did, I did wonder if somebody had Finley by the short and curly spurs. <laughs> um, in terms of a prospective bidder, they will uh, pay money to gain access to what's referred to as a, as a data room. Um, and in in that data room, you know, having once you've paid your deposit, you will be able to see um, the the assets which are owned by the club. So from, from a prospective buyer's point of view, that will be property assets. It will be players in terms of the, the contracts, the length of the contracts, the terms of the contracts. So therefore, that would give you an insight as to the sort of day-to-day operational costs in relation to the club. Um, You'll also find out the club's liabilities. To whom do they owe money? Do they owe money to banks? Do they owe money to the owners? How much do they owe to other clubs? And when are those payments due? Because any prospective buyer would have to say, A, I need to know, you know, I need to work out a price for the club itself. And B, I need to know how much I'm financially committing myself to over the course of the next, you know, two, three, four years. Um, with regards to running it, ideally at a success, um, and and in in that regard, it's it's you know a bit similar to a house survey. You know, that you you employ a professional person to go in and and to make sure that uh, you know you've not got dry rot and the windows are uh, are not you know not decaying and, and there's no and of course you use uh, you'd use a conveyancing firm to make sure that. Uh, you know, your the the freehold and the, the leasehold is, is is appropriately dealt with because uh, I, I bought a house once to find out that there was a there was a right of way through the back garden which, <laughs> which we hadn't anticipated. <laughs> so <laughs> who are those blokes wandering past? They got a right of way. Um, so uh, yeah, something you don't you don't do your homework. Um, so so that's what that's what you will see. Um, you if you are a preferred bidder. Then uh, the, the, you, know, you, you probably pay a little bit extra uh, to gain exclusive uh, or, or first dibs. I think is the legal term with regards <laughs> to that data room, um, and and that money may be non-refundable um, because that's to stop the tire kickers um, of the world. In terms of what you're buying, that will be contractually set out um, again in a similar way to to, to buying a house. Um, so it's uh, you know un- Uncle Terry used to sell cars normally for cash. Uh-huh. They were sold as seen, and, and, and you know one of the benefits of dealing dealing with Uncle Terry is quite often you, you actually ended up buying parts of more than one car, yeah, um, uh, who, who who he'd carefully put together. Um, so so you know if, if it's going to be a a multi million pound deal. And you know the the average price for a club in the championship we're probably talking twenty to thirty million pounds. Once you get up into the Premier League, realistically, you'd be looking at a minimum of one hundred and fifty. Uh, so, you know, Southampton have gone for for more than that. Newcastle have gone for more than that. The uh, you know John Textor uh, Palace. You know, my understanding is his share of the club. Uh, you know it values it in the it, you know the number begins with a two. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so you know. Under those circumstances, you you would certainly get a contractual analysis as to exactly what you are buying and exactly what you're not buying as well. Yeah. Did you get Uncle Terry in to solve the right of way problem? 
yeah, yeah, he uh, he got some mates of his to put up some fencing, and uh, <laughs> when people when people come to query, uh, Uncle, Uncle Terry was on the other side of the fence, yeah. giving him a bit of polite advice. <laughs> This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by Packed Coffee. Big coffee is bad coffee, full of underpaid farmers and low-quality, over-roasted beans, all of which just leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Packed is changing the coffee industry from the grounds up. From paying a price that's more than fair to knowing farmers on a first-name basis, Packed builds long-term relationships that flourish, putting the needs of their partners first and providing coffee that's personal to their customers. With Pact, you'll get award-winning speciality coffee, freshly roasted to perfection for your order, and ground just moments before it's shipped. There's over 15 different coffees on the menu at any given time to choose from, including Great Taste 2020 and 2021 winners. So, make a pact to make better coffee now. Price of Football listeners get a free V60 and filter kit when they first sign up to a packed plan. Just go to packedcoffee.com. That's P-A-C-T coffee.com. And enter the code POF at the checkout to create your flexible coffee subscription and get that free brewing kit. Make a pact to make better coffee. Better for the farmer, better for the consumer, better for the planet. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Now, Ben Clark has been putting a theory together in the pub with his mates. Yes, this uh, is top conspiracy work, Ben. He, he doesn't actually say that, but it would explain a lot about this question. <laughs> it made me laugh a lot, this question, Ben, I have to say. Um, <laughs> uh, due to Arsenal's mixed performances and results this season, a lot of people are laughing at the fact it's all being recorded for an Amazon fly-on-the-wall documentary. Would it make any financial sense for the owners to ensure they keep performing badly this season by keeping Arteta in charge, knowing they will get more, <laughs> knowing that they will get more people watching the documentary? Uh, I suppose Ben could also be a Spurs fan as well. That might explain it. It's, it's, it's a great. It's just the these Arsenal fans go. We well, you know why we're playing badly, don't you? They want people to watch the TV show. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting theory, Ben. Um, <laughs> I, I, I presume you're not part of the. Arteta in movement yourself, <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's highly unlikely. Uh, we, we've mentioned a couple of times on the show that with the latest manifestation of, uh, of of the distribution rights of Premier League money, each individual place is worth in the region of two point one million pounds. 
So there's that to bear in mind. You know, if Arsenal finish three or four places higher, they finish fifth instead of ninth. Yeah, that's eight million pounds. And then, of course, you've got the financial benefits of being in the Champions League and and Arsenal are within touching distance at present of of that particular achievement. Um, The Champions League is worth... um, in my view, a minimum of thirty million, and and if you if you're playing out, you know, Arsenal generate five million pounds of gate receipts on on top of that for every home match, um, and if you get as far as the semi final or the final, you're you're talking somewhere between uh, you know hundred to one hundred and twenty million pounds in overall benefits. So. Um, Amazon are not that generous uh, <laughs> because if they are that generous, uh, the price of football documentary. Uh, I think we we might we might have to reconsider their their initial offer. <laughs> yeah, we won't be doing any considering or reconsidering. It'll be producer <laughs> guy. To, and it won't be called the price of football. We're called producer guy and two blokes. Um, <laughs> our penultimate question comes from Richard Callahan, and it's a, it's a serious one. Uh, Richard Callahan asks: During the early days of the pandemic, there were many predictions that a large number of football league clubs would go bust, which gladly hasn't happened. Has the danger now passed, or due to actions taken to stave off imminent disaster, loans, payment deferrals, etc., should we be worried that clubs could still go under, but more slowly? Um, yeah, I think it's it's a fair comment from Richard. Uh, first of all, I think there are. Um, a number of parties who deserve a lot of praise. Uh, the Premier League did give grants to clubs in the EFL. The EFL deserves praise for going out and, and finding a lender to uh, to allow clubs to pay PAYE. Um, fans deserve praise for keeping their season ticket money in clubs and owners deserve praise for writing out the checks when when they didn't know when their club was going to play again in front of a paying audience um and also the government for the furlough scheme and yeah. then the pay delay scheme so i think this is this is a collective uh, you know high five to, to to those people who who made those decisions um and, and that and that gave that gave the football industry breathing space and and that's where we are at present yeah we've come out of a period of extreme pressure, but there still is pressure. Those loans still have to be repaid. Uh, they're on reasonably generous terms, and, and again, you know, the Premier League I think has underwritten the interest cost there. Um, but uh, yeah, those loans have to be repaid. Uh, clubs are still losing money. Uh, I, I've seen some of the accounts of clubs in the Championship recently, and you know, you've, you've got Reading who. Uh, you know, they've had a points deduction for for, for exceeding financial fair play, but you know, they're, they're, the last three seasons, they're, they're around two hundred pounds of wages for every hundred pounds of income coming in. Yeah. It's it's not a sustainable way to to run a business. I, I know the owner has has funded the club, um, but as we have seen with 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 many clubs, you are you are one incident away from losing an owner. And if that owner is funding the club, then then immediately you've got a financial crisis. And, and this is one of the reasons why a fan-led review is is keen for clubs to be sustainable. Yeah, at the start of the pandemic, when we had no work at all, uh, and the HMRC very kindly offered a lot of people the chance to defer their VAT and tax payments, uh, I wish it had occurred to me that defer and cancel are not quite the same thing. Mm. because the deferral bit has just come home to roost this week for a lot of us. Um, Matthew Lang has our last question. 
Uh, and it's one of those questions I love because it's a, it's a simple one, but it's you think, oh, well, haven't I asked this before? Um, they're the questions I really like. And Matthew Lowe's question is this, who owns the rights to matches that have already taken place? It's during lockdown, I wanted to watch matches from previous seasons in good quality and without riddling my computer with spyware. Surely this could be a revenue stream worth considering. Um, well, uh, Matthew, I think those rights probably still belong to Sky as far as the Premier League is concerned, um, because if you take a look at Sky Football, there's, there's often you know, the Premier League years where you, you look at matches um, in relation to uh, what's happened since 1992-93. Um, if you want to see matches from previous dates, again, the rights holder would have been the TV companies. So... Um, I, I quite like a little bit of ITV4, especially yeah. in the afternoons, watching the professionals and the Sweeney. Um, and uh, they, they often have matches from, uh, fr- from, from, the, from the days when we fell in love with the sport. Yeah, and, and you yeah. watch them, and then, and then I contrast them with what I'm seeing in 2022, and it is, it is a different sport. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. You know, in terms of the, the pitches, in terms of the, the physical speed of the players, it's completely different. But they, they were still wonderful moments yeah. uh, in those glory days. So, so those, those rights belong to the rights owners at the time, and, and they can be traded um, uh, between television companies, but they don't actually belong to the clubs themselves. Matthew's right, though. I mean, it's potentially a good revenue stream, isn't it, for somebody? Because you know, if you if you support a big club that's not having a good season, you, you quite like to console yourself by watching games from last season, three seasons ago when you were when you were good. It's, you think somebody could make money out of that? Yeah, well, I mean, m- most of those clips are also available now. You know, Sky Sky are very good at getting the, the goal highlights up uh, that's um, true, yeah, on, on their app. So yeah. if, if you hunt around, um, and, and often YouTube can be your friend as well for the stuff which has sort of gone out of the, the right cycle. Yeah, do you know what I watched on YouTube the other day, Kieran? You won't know this. I watched the Arsenal Stadium mystery film from 1939. Oh, wow. Which is, I recommend any football fan watches the Arsenal Stadium mystery just to find out what life was like at a football ground in 1939. There's one wonderful clip where there's a crowd. Clearly, they show crowd shots of a real game. There's 70,000 people in there. And it, it the game kicks off and it, it cuts to two little London blokes in the corner talking about the referee's eyesight. And the referee, it seems, <laughs> can hear these two blokes. And then it cuts to a terrible shot, obviously taken in the studio, of the referee coming over and saying to them, I've got my eyes on you too. <laughs> and one of them goes, I knew you weren't watching the match. Hey. And, the, and the, referee, the referee laughs and shakes his fist at him. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, and I won't tell you who did it either, but uh, you, you'll probably guess. Uh, the first ever Price of Football live show at Plough Lane, Wimbledon, on Thursday the 24th of March, is, I'm pleased to say, sold out. But... Because of demand, Kieran, we are releasing another 50 tickets this morning, Monday the 28th of February at 10 o'clock. And I'd like to take this opportunity to say a big hello to one of our fans who tweeted on Thursday that he (laughs) turned up at Plough Lane that night by mistake a month early. I don't think we'll mention that at all when it comes to the actual gig (laughs) on the night, as I said to to his mate yesterday in the pub. Um, If you can't make Plough Lane Wimbledon, even with the extra tickets, uh, if you live near Plymouth, Peterborough or Accrington, watch this space, or rather listen to this space. Um, Thank you for listening to the Questions Pod. If you'd like to make a small contribution to Always 3 to Air Price of Football podcast, that would be very kind of you, and you could do so 
patreon.com slash price of football. If you have any questions for our questions pod in the future, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Thank you. And I'd like to give a special mention to, to Mike Johnson, who's joined our Patreon team, who says, Glazers out and Bucks in six. I've no idea what that means. <laughs> That's why there was a slightly baffled pause there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but as an alternative to that, if, if you just want to support the show, one of the ways you can do so is by going to your uh, uh, Apple app or your Spotify app or your Google podcast app um, and, and giving us a review. Uh, if you can give us uh, five stars, apparently that, that really helps the show. Um, it doesn't matter what you say on the comments. You could say you'd rather have the show presented by Holly Johnson or Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Felicity Kendall. And, and it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to where we appear in the charts. It's just giving the review and giving the stars that in, that's important. Well, Holly Johnson and Felicity Kendall. There's, a, there's an image. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. The price of football. Bye, son, for the